So John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That is a reading this morning. May God bless us with understanding. Well, the question we're going to deal with this morning, where is Jesus? Well, for starters, uh, that's kind of, in a lot of ways, it's a loaded sort of question. And any answer that we would come up with to such a question would indeed also depend on even our state of mind and certainly on the conditions on our faith. Uh, well, we'll try to cover all of this this morning, but let us just pray that we may indeed get clarification, seek that through the guiding of his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we ask that you may be with us that you may open our minds to this passage in chapter 20 of John's Gospel, that we may see things in there, Lord, that will clarify things for us, that we may understand even better what is happening here and what we need to do to live a life that honours your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it would be reasonable to preempt a question like that with another question, which is, who is Jesus? Well, let me make this really simple and make sure that we get the information, what we can trust as a reliable source. If we go to the Bible in Matthew 3, 16, 17, we can read, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water and that moment the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So at the, early, at the earthly baptism of Jesus Christ, God the Father declared him to be the Son. Let us also go to Luke 9. This is the time on top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John at the present, as well, of course, as Moses and Elijah, no less, an event that we are calling the Transfiguration. In verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came from the cloud saying, 
This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. So twice now, God the Father has witnessed to the truth that Jesus Christ is his one and only son and the chosen one to save all believers. Surely, as followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all trust the witness of God the Father. Furthermore, before we get to answer the question of where is Jesus, what has gone on before us to cause us to even ask this question, you may say? Well, this is about the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news about the Son of God, which, of course, is all about how you and I can pro proclaim to the world that we are saved, saved from our sins, from our transgressions. That's how it all happened. See, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He walked among us for over 30 years and taught us about the kingdom of heaven. He was arrested. He was tortured, crucified on the cross where he died. And as he also told us in Matthew 16, 21, Jesus was telling them, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. Yes, he would be raised on the third day, where after he would ascend to heaven where from he came, sit at the right hand of God, where he will then prepare a place for you and I. In this timeline of salvation events, we reached a point last week of his burial in the tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. Now we have reached today's text in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Well, see, now is probably as good time for any of you to remember that Jesus had told them told the disciples, told Mary, that all of this would need to come to truth for salvation to even be possible. As he has said to them, I will be killed and I will be raised on the third day. In verse 2, we then read on. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. When we read that sort of language, we, uh, her, her way of speaking even, that she believed someone had taken the dead body of the Lord and put it somewhere. Well, I don't actually belittle her or anyone else for reacting the way she did and the way the disciples reacted. And not remembering that this was, after all, exactly what Jesus had told them would and needed to happen. I can't imagine what it would have been like coming out to care for the remains of a dear brother, my saviour no less, and finding him missing. And obviously, rather than conducting a search for the body, she ran to the disciples, Peter and John in this case, and told them, and let them decide what needs to be done at this point. In verse 3, we all read on. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but John, 
the other disciple, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. What John, when he's writing this for us, is stressing to us is that the tomb wasn't really totally empty as such, which is what brought John, of course, to believe, or at least consider the possibility that Jesus was, in fact, alive somewhere. John and Peter had seen the grave clothes. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as we read, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. See, stands the reason that if someone had simply stolen the body for whatever reason, they would have taken the body still fully wrapped in the grave clothes, but those garments had been left behind and seemingly also neatly folded up. And interestingly enough, John lets us in on all the reality of where he was up to in his understanding of all the things he had just seen however confusing that it must have been for them. In verse 9, we read, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But we don't have any real way at this point of telling what scriptural passage that he may have been referred to or had in mind, but it may well have been in Isaiah 53.11, where we ask, can read, after he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. These disciples that had walked with Jesus for over three years, spent almost every living hour with him and had been told all the secrets and the truth of the kingdom of heaven. They had been privy to everything that would have had to happen for the salvation to be made available to those who believe in the Son of God. They had been taught in plain language. They had been taught in parables. They indeed had been taught by the miracles performed by Jesus. Jesus had spoken everything, done everything that needed to be for the disciples to, at this stage, have gained the knowledge that they would be required to have available to them to continue for them to serve the Lord once he ascended into heaven. Most of all, they had everything they needed to be absolutely sure that they knew Jesus to be the Son of God. But they still, in verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, if you like... They had all the pieces of the puzzle, but they just couldn't make out the full picture just yet. They didn't have it all put together. I must admit that when we looked at the burial last week and the no-show of these disciples at that point, it could well have been that they did not attend 
that burial because they knew that Jesus would be back in a few days anyway. But as we now know, that may not have been a reason anyway. So it'd be warranted to ask at this point, what did Mary actually expect to find at the tomb? And what did John and Peter expect to see? What did they expect to find when they arrived at the tomb? Well, it's suggested that this is all about being able to connect up everything, build a full picture of the salvation truth that Jesus has been talking to them about for so many years. For every word of the Bible that is all recorded history in the Old as well as the New Testament, such comprehension will leave us with a complete and accurate understanding of all those things God has asked so many men over so many years to write down, just for the benefit of his chosen people, that is you and I, and we're amongst them, and we can read it, and with the guiding of the Holy Spirit, understand what it is that we are reading. Why is this so important to you and I? Why is it so important to us? Such comprehension of the whole story, it was gives us true assurance, a true assurance of that we are saved and we are safe, and we always will be in his hands. No matter where you are today in life, if you are suffering from a terminal sickness or if you're suffering from life in general, like being restricted in your movements and prevented from maybe holding down a job or to provide for your family, all those things that are part of life or even more problematic maybe, you're even having doubts about your own salvation. The Bible will speak to you. If only you would read every word God has provided for your comfort and your understanding. In verse 18, I consider that our, it's in Romans, Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present suffering are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration by its own choices, by its own will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what Paul wrote. But he also goes on to speak about your current life, even today. In verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, but also ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen, of course, is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he's already had? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Well, that's true, isn't it? Patience is probably not my strong point. I don't know if it is for you, but it all sounds really hard and long-suffering. Then what is the insurance that we speak about? What is that all that we have? Well, we also find that in Romans, reading on in verse 35. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Of course, that is reference to Psalm 44. In verse 37, we continue. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, we were told in verse 8 in today's text, where John tells us he saw and believed, but also that he did not fully understand. And we know that this understanding would not have come to them then at this point in time, not until the day of Pentecost, which is about 50 days hence from this day. That is the time when the Holy Spirit came upon them and dwelt in their hearts. We're reading that in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a wind, a violent wind, came and heavenly filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Well, for you and I, it is always worth remembering that when we consider our own walk with the Lord, it is not helpful to compare ourselves with the disciples in those days. We read about their great faith that is growing continuously as each day goes by, and as Jesus teaches them his truth, it is only at the end of all this that they too receive the Holy Spirit as their guide, just as you and I have received the Holy Spirit to guide us in our walk. It has been quite a morning for Mary, as well as for Peter and John, an experience like no other. In verse 10, it says to us, then the disciples went back to their homes. It seems they were, in some manner, they were content to wait for the instructions to come in whatever way, in whatever manner God had in mind for them. A bit like what people, Paul spoke of, uh, you know, we wait for it patiently. So your Lord and God wants us all to hasten slowly meaning we rush to serve him, yet we sit at his feet and learn at the same time. All aspects of our walk with him is important. We started this morning with a question of where is Jesus? It was indeed the first question, and after, we know that after having shown himself to Mary, which we're going to deal with next week, and after Peter and John had left and gone home, we also know that we read in Luke 24 that he was seen walking on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples and through a meal at that evening revealed himself to those two disciples. 
Well, my prayer for you is may your love for the Lord abound in your knowledge and assurance of his salvation and indeed of his love for you. And may he always be assured that you actually do know where Jesus is and that he will return to bring us home to be with him for all eternity. See, we know where Jesus is. He has revealed that through his Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. This is a very, very important part of your walk with him. May he bless you. May he guide you. And may we have the mind that we will always be aware and listen to his voice and that we may walk in a way that will honor his name. Amen.